We back in the lab, we making some noise, so go turn your decibels up. Yeah. Black skin, white coat, oh no, who was nice as us? Made Jim Sam really told us no limits, so we about to take this up. Went from mixing in the kitchen to the lab, and now nah, I can make this up. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We shining a light on the people of color to show them how fly it is. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We back in the lab with white coats on our back, time to show what time it is. Hey. And welcome back to the Be Scientist Podcast, the podcast by the Black Science Coalition and Institute, or B-Side. I am geoarchaeologist Jordan Chapman, and as always, we have the dope chemist herself, Jana Carpenter. And today, we have a special guest. I think, actually, our special guest is one of the first other Black scientists we've interviewed from the great city of Philadelphia. So we're excited to have him today. We got Dr. Dr. Michael Joseph Williams in the house. <laughs> What's going Dr. on? Dr. Williams. How you doing? Uh, he got his master's from Fisk University and his PhD from Delaware State University. Yes. So yeah, how about you explain a little bit about yourself? Well, first, you can't forget where I got my bachelor's from. That was from Morehouse, Morehouse College. No, no, yeah, right. Can't, can't forget the house. Right. That's where, cool. it, that's where it all start. And so how I got my start in becoming a scientist, which is kind of interesting because being in Philly, you don't really necessarily hear about scientists becoming, you know, from Philadelphia. Nope. But um, when I was a child... And here's the thing, um, I, I was raised in my elementary school years in Mount Airy, if I'm familiar with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there, I was raised in a single mother household, and my mother saw how inquisitive I was regarding science and math, and she pushed all kinds of science books to me. I was so interested. I love learning about space and space science. I still do. Uh, I I love uh, astronomy at heart. And what got me interested in that was learning about Guyan Bluford. Uh, Guyan Bluford is from West Philadelphia. Right. Uh (laughs) And he is the first African-American astronaut to go up in space. Right. I think he's also from Penn State. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah are you, are you in penn state right now oh no i'm in, i'm at university of georgia but i got my um, bachelor's at penn uga state. uga mm-hmm. how's that going for y'all uga <laughs> hey uh it's, it's fine it's all good it's all good so so um uh, so learning about his life learning that he came uh he i think he um is he went to Overbrook, Overbrook High School, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and learning how he had challenges of his own from counselors, from his high school counselors, where mm-hmm. they said that he wasn't particularly a scientific material and that he should go into a particular trade instead, uh, mm-hmm. mainly because he, they saw him as just a B student and he couldn't rise to the standard of what they thought a physicist should be. But to his credit, he persevered 
past that. And he wouldn't allow anyone, not even his superiors, to deter him from his goals, from what he knew he can achieve. Because a lot of people, they, especially when you judge kids in high school, they judge them based on, you know, their performance. But sometimes people are just diamonds in the rough. And in mm-hmm. uh, in it's sadly to say that we have a lot of emphasis on kids who peak in high school, not just in science, but in you know social quote unquote you know experiments as well of looking at how popular a kid could be that will mark the trajectory of their life. That does not necessarily is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at Guy on Bluford, he didn't maximize yet until uh, later on. And it just shows you that it doesn't matter where you start. It's a matter of how you finish. And he yeah. finished as uh, also a PhD in aerospace engineering. And mm-hmm. he went on to become an astronaut in NASA for the NASA program. So seeing that really got me really interested and let me to have, have a vision or a goal or just have hope that someone mm-hmm. like someone that looks like me can have a PhD. Right. And so, so that, that was the, the initial, interest the initial image that I had as a child. Now to nurture that, uh, my mother brought me to the Franklin Institute Science Museum. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're from Philly, you know that Franklin Institute is in uh, downtown Center City. It is yep. the is the one of the nation's most hands-on science museums. And oh, and as a child, I loved that yeah. place uh, mm-hmm. mainly because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know, there's a gigantic heart that is like the focal the point yes. of the museum <laughs> that you get to walk through. Yeah. You hear the heartbeat, and you see yep. how the blood flows through all four uh-huh. chambers of the heart. And so that 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 place right there, where you, where you get to touch stuff, <laughs> and, and you're not afraid to touch stuff. They actually. Mm-hmm. Encourage you to touch because normally right. when you go to the museum, they say, "Do not touch, do not touch." Mm-hmm. When you when you go to the museum, a science museum, also you can't touch. It's like, oh, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost hesitant you know, for you to do so, but it welcomes you to do that, and that where I just uh, you know got my interest to go forth um, as a scientist. And particularly, there was a youth program there called. And it stands for Partnerships for Achieving Careers in Technology and Science. Now, this particular program there was was really uh, engineered to go for inner city kids or, you know, mainly black and brown kids who did not necessarily have the resources nor the experience or the exposure to particular programs or even possibilities of going into science. So that really helped me out as well. Um, I was able to work there um, throughout my middle school and high school years. And so I am now an alumni of the program and um, I'm able to come back and just, you know, help out on the program any way I can uh, just to give uh, kids who who are still in the program, it still exists right now, is to still give them hope and, um, in a, you know, a path to where they wanted to go. And so that's, that's yeah, that's where my where I originally started at the Franklin Institute. Yeah, man, that makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I'm, uh, I think I definitely was a fan of the Franklin Institute, but one of my earliest memories of 
really kind of being like, oh, science is cool is right across the street at the Natural Academy of Science. Right. Because in there, you can do, I'm pretty sure it was in there. It, it could have been Franklin Institute too, but um, there is like a mini like paleontology like station where you can like dust off like pretend fossils basically. Uh-huh. And that, that started a lot of things because then I go on and become both an archaeologist and a geologist yeah where, you know yeah. most people don't do both but i was like i'm gonna do both because and then i always have that memory of like that not really considering it if someone was like oh you realize that you could actually be one of those right then maybe things would have got started faster but it did come back around yeah 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 um i think before i started middle school i was at a summer camp at the Academy of Natural Sciences, um, there was just something to do you know, during the summer, and I and, and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't for me. That's not the type of science I wanted to do, but it's, it's it's still you know a good experience, you know, to do you know get your feet wet in what you want to do and what you don't want to do. So um, mm-hmm. definitely, I, I think for me, I didn't necessarily um, it wasn't necessarily my you know. Uh, my palette, if you will, of science, you know, dinosaurs mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. uh, archaeology. It wasn't for me, but uh, definitely I wanted to go into any type of, you know, life sciences or hard science, you know, with biology, right. chemistry, and physics. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, so from there, from there, I uh, went to Morehouse College. And um, I, so that was in 2005. Uh, so mm-hmm. Morehouse College is in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, right, right. And uh, if people do not know, Morehouse College is an historically black college, and which mm-hmm. is specifically for African American men, which is um, which is really, 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 really pivotal, especially today, uh, to, to have all sorts of men. You know, you know, to, 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 to be honest, young men, but they still need to be uh, to be uh, groomed into professionals um, mm-hmm. as African American men. But they really emphasized a lot of um, personal growth and uh, facets of life that a lot of kids needed. Um, So there in Morehouse College, uh, I saw different examples of class, professionalism, and dignity in African-American men. And it's because I didn't necessarily grow up having those images. So it was Mm -hmm. powerful for me to see all that. And we all know that um, Morehouse College is uh, famous for having uh, alumni as if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and even uh, Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson, if you believe that. And uh, it just uh, it was just powerful to be there. And there was an ideal that was presented to us uh, when we first got there as freshmen. The so one of the previous presidents of Morehouse College. His name is Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays. He created this ideal, which is called the Morehouse Man. And the Morehouse Man was the epitome of excellence in all facets of life, including academics, professional aspirations, family devotion, community service, and leadership. Um, And the Morehouse Man was supposed to be, is the embodiment of integrity, honesty, respect, resourcefulness, poise, and self-discipline that we all are supposed to adhere to and you see the lives of the students there being transformed by those standards so being there i was able to see people that looked like me um become embraced in in science and do quality science and can embrace black culture at the same time so that was a really um powerful moment for me to be there 
Yeah, I definitely feel like the representation aspect is so, so important because I, I often wonder how I would have turned out if I would have attended an HBCU for my undergraduate mm-hmm. career. And I just like wonder, you know, for people who may not have had that experience uh, that you've met, do you think that social media or meeting in person or how do you make those connections with people who um, maybe not have had that same experience? Oh, so uh, of representation. So I definitely think that social media is a is an excellent uh, tool in order to reach out to different people. Um, I do all, do it all the time on Twitter. Um, and for me, I'm a very you know outgoing guy, so I like to make proper introductions and see how it goes. But uh, I would never be afraid to reach out to people, especially now since we're still dealing with the pandemic. That social media is essential right now for connection, and so I would just you know suggest to do that. I know you know other people they use uh, Instagram, Facebook, or now it's called Meta now. <laughs> um, you know, so the, <laughs> in, 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 you know, there's other there's other uh, different ways to connect. But, you know, I think, you know, especially with uh, people who did not have that background, there are, there are so many organizations that are that are around right now. I know for me, how I able to connect with other people were from the NSBP, the National Society of Black Physicists. You have uh, N- uh, NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers. They're, uh, I, I'm also part of international um, organizations like Optica, which is um, where previously it was named Optical Society of America. I'm also um, a part with SPIE. Um, there's also an International Society for Optics and Photonics. There are many different organizations out there. And I know for me, from, uh, so right now I'm located in Boston, but I, you know, for me being in Boston is a, is a new city. I just moved here six months ago and I needed to, you know, to, to know people. So there's an organization here called Boston Wild Black that is, has really helped, you know, we're trying to get people to be in some sort of community to let people know that they're, they're not alone. So there are definitely places out there you can go. Dope. So what is optics? Because that's um, one thing that not a lot of people are introduced to, and I'm yes. sure I don't even really understand it myself. So let's talk about the what is optics. So optics um, basically is the science of light. It's a branch of physics that studies the behavior and properties of light, and so how it interaction how it interacts with matter, how it looks at the um, the behavior of both of on the visible, also ultraviolet and infrared light. So all type of aspects of light and its applications and its interactions. That's a great definition. <laughs> Superstar point. <laughs> so what are you what does your day look like as an optical scientist, I guess? So currently right now I am employed um in Boston um, it, um at a at a company called Boston Electronics, which is basically it's an optics distribution company, which we we able to help our customers when they come to us. We able to give them, you know, some superior application support. Um, with our products and we mainly focus with you know electro optical solutions for example we uh, focus with lasers uh, different infrared lasers we deal with also infrared and ultraviolet leds and detection and sensors we, we all deal with uh, photon counting with uh, different systems and components in a lot of different electronics with signal processing uh, so we focus on a lot of aspects just regarding 
applications with IR and UV uh, experimentation and different products. So when people come to us, they are requesting a particular product that we distribute from our partners. And we mainly are the North American hub for a lot of our partners, which are mainly located in Europe. And so mm-hmm. when people come to us, being the, I'll say the middleman, if you will, we'd be able to properly go through their particular research aspirations, their research projects, and really diagnose what they really need so, something, and so we able to just go with that with them just work with them and so when we able to send it out to them if they have a problem they can always come back to us and we can always work out what didn't work and how we properly fix it so we mainly right. mainly focus on application engineering so i have a very specific question do you have do you guys deal with uh some of the sensors that show up on the satellites like LIDAR yes. and things like that. Yes, nice. yes. Um, I think right now we have a couple of our products on the Mars Mars rover right now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Wow. That's dope as hell, actually. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always one curious about like when you when you're in school and you're thinking about okay, what what do I do next? Is it was this always something that you knew that you wanted to do? Or how did you really frame how you wanted to apply your expertise in the job market. Well, to be honest, what I really wanted to do was become an astronaut. I really wanted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you already and achieved it, so I don't know. <laughs> I really wanted to do that. It just, uh, you know, uh, over time, uh, when you have a particular dream, uh, sometimes, you know, you, regarding the circumstances, things may shift. Or things may change depending upon responsibilities or, you know, you know, where your career may, you know, can go to. So, so particularly, I always wanted to have some sort of connection to space science, like I said before. And so now I'm able to be part of it as, like I said, to help people with their particular solutions. To, um, so it's, it's, it's critical on um, thinking and problem solving. That's why that's why I really enjoy. But I also still have the connection to NASA, to all the people with SpaceX and everything, and just mm-hmm. to have that particular uh, connection with space. And this is really what I really enjoy because over time, when you think about, oh, I want to be an astronaut, I'm thinking, oh, there may be a problem regarding uh, retaining my muscle strength when I go back into gravity. I don't mm-hmm. want to lose any part of my strength. <laughs> and the thing about it, I'm not sure if uh, you know. I'm I'm sort of a, of a tall individual. I'm a, I'm, I'm six foot two, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure if <laughs> they have you know tall men do the uh, astronaut program. They probably do, but mm-hmm. it, I think it's more so. I want to be part of the instrumentation aspect and just helping develop with that as well. Yeah. Also, um, space is rough. I mean, I know, for example, um, sometimes I get, I still get motion sickness on planes. So, and I do still kind of be like, ah, oh, man, if NASA was like, we need an astronaut, would I like, if I had the opportunity, maybe, but also I get motion sick on planes. So right, it's like, right. got to think about it real fast. Right. Right. And also, uh, uh, do you enjoy roller coasters? I mean, they're okay. (laughs) That's another great question. So I, here's the thing. I hate the first drop. I Mm -hmm. hate it with a passion. (laughs) I do not like dropping or falling at all. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember one time <laughs> I was out with my friends um, a couple of years ago. We went uh, zip lining uh, at a, a you know actual uh, zip line park. That was fun. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Zip lining is fun. Dropping sucks. Okay. It was, it was one time we had we had to drop as a swing into a net. It was a short drop. I mean, not necessarily short, but it wasn't a it was it wasn't so high up up in the trees. It was relatively, you know, moderate. Yeah. But I was still up high, and I still had to fall in right. so that I could swing. That when we we talk about your insides just clamp it's up, it's just like mm. Mm, I hate that. And, I hate that so much. It, it, I haven't been ziplining. Is there a lot of free motion on the way down, or is it just like so? Uh, so regarding being on a zipline, going all the way over, like so, is there a lot of like swinging not straight down, but like to the sides and stuff as you're falling? No, well, okay. well, I, I can't remember now <laughs> because yeah, I'm going to fall. Like I just like <laughs> wanted it to be over so bad, so I, yeah, I, 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 I had, to, I had to let out like a warrior cry. It's like. <laughs> And just drop, you know. So, so, so it it went straight. I believe it went straight. Mm. Cool, cool, cool. No worries. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I did notice though that um, you do enjoy traveling. Yes. So, do you get to do that a lot along with your job? And well, not yet. What's your favorite? Not yet because of the pandemic. But I do attend on traveling uh, soon. Uh, mainly because my job will require us to do trade shows um, at different mm-hmm. places. Um, we have a particular show upcoming next month at the end of the month um, called Photonics West, where it's the biggest optics show, optics trade show, if you will. We have multiple companies coming together from all over the world, hopefully, depending upon if they will consider traveling during this time. But normally... We have thousands of people there just to show off their particular products, or even to um, they have different classes for professional development. I am glad to announce that I well, prior well, a couple of months ago, I started a not sort of a Twitter campaign, but a group called Black Infotonics, particularly because uh, when I would go to several of these shows, I will always feel isolated or feel that I'm the only one there that's black and American, born and raised in America. And I would feel, you know, somewhat out of my element, even though that I am doing the work. This was was the time I was in grad school and Mm -hmm. I was doing the work and I, you know, have a legitimate right to be there, but it still felt in the back of my mind, like imposter syndrome or people mm-hmm. looking at me as if saying that I do not deserve to be here or someone else is more deserving of your spot mm-hmm. because there's no other black person here. I want to, I, I want to create an environment where people that look like us can come together and support one another. Because right. I know there's other people out there, they just feel that they don't belong or they don't even want to talk to, mm-hmm. but they don't anyone they can trust. Because it's, it was a lot of things that came out in this past year regarding the death of George Floyd, Amon mm-hmm. Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor that really came out on the surface regarding scientists and mm-hmm. particularly how they feel about their colleagues 
And so that's when I want I really wanted to just just uh, create a spot, like a safe place for us to just chill, you know, relax, communicate, collaborate even, and just help us to, um, you know, um, meet our particular goals. Right. I mean, we've talked about it a good amount on the show. Uh, we've had other members of the Black and X community show up on the show and we are also part of the community we've helped with black and x too but optics and other aspects of physics i'm sure always needs that because you imagine it's physics and those types of science are very technical Mm -hmm. and difficult to get into so that it means that as you uh go up the ladder that there's going to be less and less of people in general but then you add all of the other aspects that african-americans have to go through and other um underrepresented groups and i can only imagine even how much that trickles down as well so yeah yes. that makes sense mm-hmm. yes so i yeah, it's also, yeah go ahead i'm sorry oh no you go ahead no i just felt that you know uh this will be a pivotal opportunity just to bring that out there and just to have people have hope yeah <laughs> that's, right. that's 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 my main motivation mm-hmm. fair enough Jenny, you had a question? Yeah, it's, it's funny. No, I was just, it was more of a comment than, than a question, but it's just funny. If I talk to someone who is adjacent to my field, but is not Black or African American, and they're like, oh, so what are you studying? And I say, you know, I'm, to, I'm doing a technical science. I'm doing chemistry, you know, bioanalytical chemistry. They're like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you give me that look. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, right. Yeah, exactly. And I hate that, that, it's immediate imposter syndrome because it's mm-hmm. like, why do you act so surprised? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like saying in um in I I in uh, I've I, I made a presentation because also just to interject, I am serving Optica as an ambassador for them. I just got inducted to their ambassador program this year, so I can mm-hmm. put that link to you uh, just to show you what, what that means. But I'm able to go around and do, you know, professional development presentations for all of our uh, student chapters, and um, I made a presentation regarding um, the importance of advocacy for um, the Black community in optics and photonics, and and I address some of what you just said saying that <laughs> that sometimes we feel that physics is an elitist field hmm. that's only for the racial majority right and we feel that we don't or we we're not necessarily seen but we are ignored and we feel that we always have to prove our worth or hmm. even our competence to prove our own existence right in our, you know, and our legitimacy of being in these so quote unquote white spaces, and it could, honestly, sometimes we we see the hypocrisy of people who say they're racially diverse or they're trying to go into inclusion now, but you see only a sprinkle of us mm-hmm. when you then we see a large majority of other people that have been there for a long time. So it's something that has really <laughs> not settled with me at all. I never accepted what I saw and always believed for the better. And I believe that now this is a pivotal moment in history where people are open to hear what I have to say. Right. Yeah. I do think that after, unfortunately, after um, the death 
of George Floyd. And also that same day, the fact that the Black Birders event was going on um, in New York, which is um, a crazy coincidence. But I think all of that stuff sparking not just the protests, but then also the consequential like Black organizations and science really showing up that I think it is kind of like a Black science revolution. And a little background about B-Side, one of the things we did when we first um, showed up in like 2018, like late 2018, is that we would do historical science posts on Black scientists who usually don't get a lot of press. And in doing that, you know, you look to see if there was another moment, not moment, but or organization that kind of really was like this. This isn't just one science organization, say uh, chemistry or physics or geology. It would be one for everybody. And that was like, we didn't even see that. So it was like, this here is definitely different. And then we look at just the following on Twitter and other social media platforms. And even the fact that science and nature have picked up some of it too. It's like, yeah, um, it's, it's big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just feel that, yeah, it's big, but I want to, again, use this window right. to, to really, really push change and to mm-hmm. make it so much that they have to change the system because because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times it, 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 it's, it's necessarily the when we're talking about systems we're talking about people right and people have certain presuppositions already and a lot of black people I've spoken to a lot of black people regarding my endeavors and sometimes especially people who are in academia, Mm-hmm. They are afraid of repercussions, yeah. or or if they say something too truthful, and their superiors hear about it, is like is like they're afraid of their positions and their jobs for speaking yeah. out, and that's so that's a, a real um, sentiment you know that, that people have because it's almost as if so many black students or scientists even they feel that they are they are expendable right because yeah. they feel that sometimes they were hired at a particular position just to fill a quota and if you don't line up or assimilate yourself to the system at hand all of a sudden you're a troublemaker and you don't fit anymore mm-hmm. and so but i think that i've been given the grace to point out a lot of these ills in our society because not only am I doing this under the optical umbrella, but my own employer is supporting me in this. And I really appreciate Boston Electronics for allowing me to speak out so vividly because they too believe that things that I have to say need to be heard. And especially, you know, come from situations and scenarios where you hear microaggressions from different places, and a lot of people feel they can't voice that. But I really have the authority and the platform to do so, mm-hmm. because I've heard different different um, things. Like I, whenever, you know, for example, I forgot which one, but it was a time, you know, the outcry from unarmed black boy being murdered by the police and um i have received this question saying why do you care what happens out there 
Mm. It's almost like, why do you care what happens out in the streets? Your focus should be in the lab. And I'm right. like... You can see me on the streets. That's the question, <laughs> and and that's the thing. Uh, the, the 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 reaction that I have is was saying that you had no empathy for right. for me being a black man as a scientist because you feel that science is colorblind. Mm-hmm. But even with that, people say they're not racist. They don't see color, or they're they're colorblind. That means they have no acknowledgement of the harassment the pain and the strain that black people go through every single day mm-hmm. or yeah, jo- I definitely, what, say, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I've, I've definitely seen a trend of a lot of temporary allyship mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. amongst a lot of people, especially right. on social media. <laughs> yeah. With the tags or even <laughs> do you remember uh, last year they had that po- you posted the black square. Yeah. <laughs> we solved the problem it's over now guys (laughs) or Jordan I'm going to ask you something has everyone has anyone ever complimented to you on how well you talk oh yeah I mean of course all the time Yeah. oh you talk really well oh I appreciate it I can talk like I'm from Philly (laughs) (laughs) don't play (laughs) in in, in that that also, with that, the um, the topic of code switching, a mm-hmm. lot of people don't understand because it feels that uh, we are being, uh, we are suppressing our true selves. When mm-hmm. honestly, it's a matter of time and place uh, with different people, different places. So, it's something that we have had to do in order to survive. It necessarily is something that I call it as uh, an asset. But it's more so something that we just had to do in order to have some sort of release or mental health peace. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the things that we go through every single day, we need some sort of like avenue just to direct our energy. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I tried to do when I started grad school, especially um, once we really started B-Side, was like not, not try to code switch as much. Because to me, it was like, well, this is part of why we're here in the first place is that you know, we need to be black scientists in not just black spaces, but also in the science community where, as we've been talking about historically, we aren't really seeing that much across the board. So in any situation where we one black person doesn't represent the whole entire black community. But when you go into these spaces that I feel like sometimes we take that on because we know that there's a strong possibility that there won't be another black person for some time so in those moments i'm like okay if that's the case then i'm going to show up and i'm just going to be black sometimes like i'm going to say what i gotta say because you know i don't represent the whole black community but i know how i feel about the black community as a black person so if i show up in that space then i'm like okay this is why what you just said was fucked up here's here's why you should think about what you said um so or if someone says something like you know we're really diverse and we're doing blah 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 i'm like oh okay so how many students of color Exactly. Are you working with like because that's it's real easy to say because I I it's real easy to say we your department's diverse and then you know for example you're the only black person at the department and then it's like yeah it's diverse you have that representation but that's not diverse but the thing so. also with that is okay you're diverse but what type of program do you have to keep the retention of the people there because exactly. it's not enough to right. say oh we have black people in you don't have any type of 
uh, support system that make them to stay. It made them feel welcome. Mm-hmm, made them feel mm-hmm. they belong there. And it, 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 this is right. this is much more than just a short term solution. You need to have something for the, um, that will implement a long term effect for the for the people that you're um, that you're responsible for. And so, mm-hmm. even with the, the the topic of being an ally, and and some people they have their particular notice or even their motivations for being an ally. But if someone really wants to be down with us, we need to take a step further than that and not necessarily be an ally, but what I, um, and then this is not my term. I've heard it from someone else be a co-conspirator. So, so, <laughs> like but, but here's, here's the analogy I, I came up with. So say that we are running a marathon and we are, you know, running, you know, a huge marathon, like 26.2 miles. And we're, we're tired. We're in pain. We have so much stress and anxiety and just, but determination and the will to succeed. We have people on the sidelines cheering for us. Having the signs, having the, uh, the cheerleaders there saying that they're for us and we are going forth, we're going to win and we're going to do it. Those are allies. A co-conspirator is running the marathon hand in hand or arm in arm with us and going through the pain, the strain, the sweat, the blood, the tears of running the marathon. And so that when we do cross the finish line, we can share the spoils of that victory. So that's more so about, you know, not necessarily the having people with us. We need people who are willing to be at risk of their own selves and be mm-hmm. determined to make a change along with us because we've know how it is to take a risk regarding racial justice and civil rights. But we need other people to do that alongside with us so that proper change can happen. It will not just be a titular experience or a moment that you say that you're with us. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy for sure. So what would you like to see going forward? Do you think that there are specific things that we could do in the next couple of years to help these things really, really, really stick. So for one, I believe that the conversations that have started last year need to continue mm-hmm. because we're still dealing with the aftermath uh, regarding what happened last year. And still to this day, the people who murdered Breonna Taylor have not been charged nor arrested. Mm-hmm. And so we still have problems like that right now and in our society dealing with the police or even other cases that we see regarding white privilege. Mm -hmm. And it's sad to see that we always are judging ourselves based on, you know, white people's experiences or white people's privilege. And that's something that needs to be addressed more so 
and to do it in a cordial manner, but we do respectfully and honestly. Mm. Because I think a lot of times in the past, regarding when you see a black boy or black man, an innocent black man being murdered or killed by the police for no apparent reason whatsoever, either people are angry at it or they just sweep it under the rug because they don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Or you feel that they don't have anything to say. Right. But even being complicit in being silent, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. And if we really want to have healing as human beings here in America, we can't be silent because we constantly deal with other people that don't look like us every single day. And a lot of people, they want to hide within their own particular demographics. But that, but we can't heal if we hide from each other. Right. And as scientists, we need to, we need to call out the pseudo-science to try to say that black people are inferior. Mm-hmm. Or black people have particular um, deficits in their cognitive reasoning or understanding. Mm-hmm. And there were couple of papers published last year that said that, that, that really ironed it out that science has a racism problem. And even there was a study on gender and race stereotypes and how that impacts the advancement of scholars. And so for this particular study, they had um, biology and physics professors from eight different research universities. And they were asked to read one of eight CVs de- depicting a hypothetical grad um, graduate, a doctoral graduate, applying for a postdoc, and they will rate them on competence, hireability, and likability. The only thing that was changed on the CVs were the person's name and the person's gender. So, mm-hmm. and the person's name were was used to manipulate race. If you had a black name, you had a white name, you had an Asian name. And the only thing was uh, very was the gender, and all other aspects of the CV was held constant. You know, with the accomplishments, the amount of publications, the type of things they did with community service, and the physics faculty rated Asian and white candidates as more competent and more hireable than the black and Latino candidates, regardless of the accolades. The accolades were the same. But they rated Asian and white candidates as more competent and more hireable. So that in itself needs to have a conversation in itself. We need to have people be honest with themselves of the system of belief that people have created based on racist stereotypes of what black people can do or is or have the ability to do. And we need to honesty repent of that <laughs> mm-hmm. and say that 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 is wrong and we need to have that that shift in our mindset regarding how we view each other i'm still just stunned because that's a really important uh, conversation to have and i'm honestly just thinking of ways that i can do that now in my own department mm-hmm. because it's certainly something that i shy away from just because you know there aren't that many of us and in particular, I was just kind of thinking of an instance of hearing a colleague 
you know, say, oh, well, I saw this survey about if you're black or brown, you have these these circumstances. Does this really happen? Does this happen like to you? And it's like, you know, it's just even having having to come to terms with someone to be like, yeah, I know you don't experience these things, but you need to take a step back and just the fact that they felt so comfortable being like, this doesn't happen, right? Yeah. This is certainly, this is just extreme situations. <laughs> extreme <know>? situations. <laughs> really? Because but, here's the thing. Um, there was a person um, a couple of years ago uh, who could have been George Floyd. And he was a, a, a doctoral student in engineering at Northwestern. Um, he has his PhD now. His name was Dr. Lawrence Crosby. I would suggest you look him up and what happened to him because um, he was profiled by the police by trying to get into his own car. And so stuff like this is not just for the people out in the street or who are unlearned and had no education. This is something that really does affect all of us. My own mother, uh, she prays uh, for me all the time and I pray with her. Because of the fact that you know we need you know, uh, protection when we go out, and you know, even you know walking down the street, and just thinking that do people respect me as their colleague, or will they question the legitimacy of my doctorate because I went to a historically black college, or even if I show up at at a, at a conference. And respectfully, I wear a suit every time I go to a conference to show myself professional. Will that trigger someone in saying that, oh, why is he there? Does he really belong here? Because honestly, and this is, this is my uh, firsthand experience, I was sitting in a conference uh, lecture uh, you know, the, during during one of the sessions, and I saw this young man. He was white, but he was just wearing a white t-shirt and some cargo pants, and he was making a presentation. And I'm I'm not looking at him, and I'm like, okay. Um, and no one's saying anything. And no one says anything. And the thing about it, what he was saying, everything was very. Uh, excellent. He did an excellent presentation, but his presentation mm. was unprofessional. But no one said anything. And so here's the question. If I show up there wearing my Eagles jersey, okay, and wear some, wear some jeans and my Timberlands, somebody would have said something to me, yeah. or would they? I mean, that may, for first, I wanted to um, say that, uh, Jenna, you're, you, about yours is that, like, yours was immediately dismissive, like, whoever did that, which is unfair. And then, too, yeah, I mean, if, like, I, there's a conference coming up in Philly um, in January. And part of me is, like, I am just want to show up and just be from Philly to that conference. But on the other hand, like, yeah, like, I can imagine showing up in Philly and thinking about how I how I've looked in Philly before, and how I would walk into that conference if I presented myself that day. Like part of me wants to just challenge that, but also knowing that there could be repercussions. For another one thing that always 
get to my mind about going into the field as like a, ge- um, a geologist and archaeologist that sometimes I go into the field and I'm like, I'm always wearing pants because I don't care how hot it is. It's hot, but like I'm, I, even if the pants won't protect me from like a snake trying to bite me, then at least I had on pants to like try to prevent the situation. I can't tell me how many times I'm out in the field and I've seen people wearing shorts. I'm like, there's a privilege to even that mindset. And I know that people will defend and I've talked to people, white people about it and like, oh, it's hot out here. I don't want to be hot. And I'm like, I get that. But you consider the fact that you were out in the field and there's not just, even if it's not a snake, even if it's not a spider, there are plants out here that will try, that will scratch you if you, if you walk by them. If you're wearing pants, that chance goes down. There's a privilege to that to me. And like, it's, it's very obvious in those moments. And yeah, it's it's weird how the privilege shows up. But um, I don't want to be um, a downer for everything because there are great men and women out there who are making the change. I do want to highlight a particular program that I was a part of um, at my time at Fisk. Um, it was the uh, the Fisk Vanderbilt Master's to PhD Bridge Program. Um, particularly, that program was specifically creative for people like us because um, they wanted to improve the demographic representation of underrepresented minorities in STEM. And they have an 83% PhD success rate amongst black and brown people. Okay? That's unheard of in regarding compared to the national, uh, national average. And Fisk by itself, separate to the program, is the number one producer of black people earning their master's degrees. So there are definitely people who are genuine. I love the particular program because it showed that you have genuine people who are serious about science, but they care about your well-being. They they really have a sense of compassion and empathy towards students who may may need a particular um, push towards um, the right direction. And that was certainly me. Um, after I graduated from Morehouse until that really helped me maintain the trajectory that I wanted to be on. So there are plenty of people out there and there's definitely, um, you know, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist and an idealist. And so I'm always believing for the better, uh, continuing to put uh, light and hope out there in the world. And I believe it's going to come back. Not, not for me, for other people who are coming behind me. That's amazing. We are getting close to an hour. So um, what we usually do as we kind of wrap up the show is we ask our guests, how do you encourage other people to be scientists? I think how do you encourage is number one, you go to the elementary schools and you do science demonstrations and science shows to get them excited. I love doing outreach for kids. I, especially since I'm dealing with light, you know, I could show them all kinds of laser tricks, all kinds of stuff, especially with gummy bears. Uh, <laughs> everybody loves candy. <laughs> and, you know, so uh, showing them uh, different concepts of dispersion, diffraction, uh, transmittance, uh, reflection, uh, all kinds of things um, regarding science and how, it, you know, it interacts um, with different things that they generally care about, which is candy. Uh, <laughs> and, it just shows, and it's showing the different concepts of light and how 
you know, they themselves can start to understand that at a young age, just seeing their wide eyed optimism. I love that. And so I think we should start there just um, to encourage kids to not be afraid to be curious about life, to find people that are trustworthy or genuine that can challenge them in the science who are not afraid to support them and to, you know, just basically to have people fund them to have people put themselves out there to give people a head start. That was definitely me. And so I believe in giving back. So that's the main, you know, message here. It's always important to give back to your communities where you came from. Because there are, there are definitely kids in the inner cities that want to do this stuff. They just need the encouragement and the opportunities. That's amazing. That's a great way to wrap up the show. Thanks, you guys, for being here. You know, uh, I do want to say that uh, you know, we are... I know we haven't had a lot of episodes over the last couple of months, um, but we are wrapping up 2021 now. And so we'll have one more before 2021 ends and then we will see people in the new year. Um, and Dr. Williams here just mentioned something about giving back and, you know, it's the holidays. And if you are feeling generous out there, then you know, feel free to give us a donation. We've had a record year and you can be part of it. So with all that said, again, thank you guys for being on the show today. And as always, please be scientists. Be Scientist is a podcast by the Black Science Coalition and Institute, or BSI, a 501c3 nonprofit. Be Scientist is hosted by both Jenna Carpenter, chemist, and BSI's research and development officer, and Jordan Chapman, geoarchaeologist and BSI's president. Music is produced by Delarallo, and lyrics are by Ed Jenna. Special thanks to Michael, Mike, Captain Marshall, and the Plaza Abbey Studios. If you'd like to donate to BSI, visit our official website, bsci.org. That's b-sci.org. Your donation supports the B-Scientists and besides other projects. We couldn't do it without you. So please tune in next time and always be scientists.